0: Thank you, Nathaniel. Good morning, everyone. Yes, we are in our third of our series in Ephesians, A Bigger Life. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is full of life. It's full of hope. It gives us a bigger picture. And we have to remember, as we read through Ephesians, that Paul was under house arrest at the time when he wrote this letter. And I guess for Paul, life might have felt... Smaller. He was somebody who was used to actually. He was a man of action. He was used to travelling. Paul's journeys around the Mediterranean were extraordinary. He was used to being on the road, on boats, out. And uh, here he is under house arrest in Rome. But the picture he paints in Ephesians is bigger. I've just come out of. 10 days of self-isolation following uh, having the virus. Uh, Thanks to those who've been asking about how we're all doing. All of us, all five of us in our house had the virus. We've all all been pretty good. I just uh, get a little bit tired once we get to the afternoons and still can't smell anything, which is weird. But apart from that, we're fine. But uh, 10 days of uh, self-isolation was pretty frustrating, but it doesn't really compare with house arrests, does it? But we can be honest about this time that uh, things aren't much fun at the moment maybe you're at home with kids and you're having to homeschool again and finding that a challenge and the kids aren't really interested and easily distracted and who can blame them after months and months of disruption or uh, maybe you're just frustrated because you can't do the fun stuff you'd normally do you might want to go and see a movie at the cinema and you can't you might want to go and see a band and you can't you might want to go out for a drink and you can't The options for kind of fun, for recreation, feel so diminished. Life can feel very small at the moment. And the passage I want us to look at today from the letter to the Ephesians shows us how life is bigger. We're going to read the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. What we have in these ten verses is a summing up of the gospel, a summing up of what the Christian story is. It's a before and after and forever story. And I want us to look at it in those ways. So first, this is a before story. There's a challenge for us as we read these verses to see with uh, biblical eyes, to see that the invisible spiritual realities are as real as the visible physical realities. And that can be a, a difficult leap of the imagination for materialistic modern Westerners like us to make. We're used to thinking in very physical, very material categories, and what Paul is describing here is spiritual realities, but it's a, it's a mental leap we need to make in order to understand what Paul is writing here. He says that we were dead. It says that twice, verses 1 and 5. We were dead. This is a spiritual reality. This is real. We were dead in our transgressions. He says that we were held by the world, by the flesh and the devil. What that means is that We weren't the autonomous, independent people that we thought we were. That's the kind of a myth, especially in our Western materialistic culture. We think we're autonomous, independent people. And Paul says, no, that's really not how it was. There's a spiritual reality that we were dead, and we were dead to the fact that we were dead. And Paul doesn't do here what... We would normally do what we often do in terms of how we kind of easily divide people into sorts of categories of of virtue. It's very easy, very normal for us to, uh, when we interact with others, to kind of categorize people. Those people we say, oh, they're lovely, really like them. And there are other people we say, well, they're okay, can tolerate them, but probably wouldn't want to hang out with them too much. And there are other people, well, they're a bit difficult, they're a bit Tricky, best avoided maybe. And then there are some who are just completely beyond the pale and you want nothing whatever to do with. That's not how Paul diagnoses a human condition here. What he actually does is make a blanket diagnosis of all of us. These are realities. You were dead in your transgressions. You were held by the world, the flesh, and the devil. These are realities that apply to all the human race, not just the nasty people. John Stott, the uh, famous Bible teacher, says this, Paul is not giving us a portrait of some particularly decadent tribe or degraded segment of society or even of the extremely corrupt paganism of his own day. No, this is the biblical diagnosis of fallen humanity in fallen society everywhere. We were dead. And those who belong to the world follow the way of the world's worldly ways of thinking, worldly ways of acting, worldly ways of living. Now in our culture, by the grace of God, there's a, a, a kind of a thick overlaying of Christian values which has permeated our society. Christianity has profoundly shaped our laws and our customs and our assumptions. And this means that things are much better than they could otherwise be. This is God's common grace to us, that the world is not as bad as it could be. And often there are things about the world which seem delightful and wonderful. But the ways of the world are worldly. And that means that even the good things are tainted. The the whole system of the world pulls us away from God. The, The world is, worldliness is like a magnetic pole which pulls us away from God and that's the way in which all of us lived. Lots of people fight against the system. There's been many revolutionaries over the ages fighting against the world system but so often we end up using worldly methods even as we fight against worldly systems. It's why again and again throughout history we see revolution overthrowing a tyrant and then the Person who comes in place, the tyrant becomes a tyrant themselves. It's just the way the system of the world is organized. We have an inability to create utopia, an inability to create heaven on earth. Our worldliness just makes it impossible. But the problem isn't just the system. It's not just the world. It's also us. Paul says that we have lived to gratify the cravings of the flesh, gratify our internal fleshly desires. The problem isn't just out there in the world, the problem's in here, in me. And we see that in the human default settings to love ourselves more than we love others and to seek our own comfort, even in a way which can be destructive to ourselves and to others. And we see it in the way that the right Desires we have for the necessities of life so easily get distorted into things which are ugly. Just look at the relationship we tend to have with good things, the basic things, but which so often are so problematic. You just go onto YouTube or scroll through Instagram and you can see that although we've had thousands and thousands of years of practice, we still don't have this stuff sorted. The, the basic stuff of life, the good things of life, are still so often problematic. We, we still haven't really worked out how to handle food and drink. Those good things create so many problems. Too much, too little, uh, hang-ups, addictions, all the rest. We, we, we see it in good things like clothing, which can become uh, obsessive and and distracting and, and, and so consuming. Or sex, don't need to say anything about sex, that's so obvious how something which is meant to be good has become something which is so problematic. So we've got this problem inside us, and then above and besides the world and the flesh, there is the devil. Paul talks here about the ruler of the kingdom of the air. There is a reality, often kind of hidden to us, but a reality of spiritual evil which is at work. And for the Ephesians to whom Paul is writing this letter, their context would have been one where they would have had a, a greater awareness of the spiritual realm than we do. We read the account in the book of Acts of the Apostle Paul in Ephesus and uh, There was a a great alertness and awareness of the spiritual realm in Ephesus. We don't have that same awareness in our modern Western society, but that doesn't make the reality any less real. There is evil spiritual power, and this evil spiritual power is, as it says here, at work in those who are disobedient. And so this means, the world, the flesh, and the devil means that no matter how hard we work and however much we accomplish, The natural drift of human experience is always away from God. And that's why Paul says that we were dead in our transgressions. It's why he says that we were by nature deserving of wrath. The natural human condition is, I did it my way, which actually is the way of the world, of the flesh, and of the devil. And Paul is describing this State of affairs to those who knew it to be true. They they knew it was true because uh, it describes. He's describing what they had been, and having been delivered from this by Christ, they can now see the truth of what Paul is saying. That Psalm we started with, Psalm 107. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story; those He redeemed from the hand of the foe. Paul is telling a story here of redemption. The Ephesians couldn't see these things before because they were dead. The dead don't see. When we're spiritually dead, we make assumptions that things are just as they are. We can't discern the way that the world, the flesh, and the devil have a grip on us. We think we're just trying to make the best of life. We think, well, I'm a good person. What we need is some outside intervention to see things differently. That's the before story. We then get to the after story. The after story is that they were dead, but now they are alive. There's a dramatic, utterly transforming spiritual reality which is Paul, which Paul is describing here. They were dead and now they are alive. Of course, the danger with this could be that uh, the Ephesians might start to feel rather pleased with themselves. We were dead, now we're alive. We were like this, but now we're like this. We're better, but Paul very deliberately punctures any kind of self congratulation here, punctures any kind of uh, pride that might spring up. He, he says, If you're a Christian, it's not because of you. Uh, he says, Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. There is nothing special about Paul, there's nothing special about the Ephesians, there's nothing special about us. We, like the rest, were by nature deserving of wrath. The reason that you have an after story to tell is not because you are more deserving, not because of what your family was like, not because of your nationality. If you know Christ, it is because there has been an intervention in your life to which you contributed nothing. Look at the words that Paul uses to describe in terms of what has happened to believers. He talks about how we have received love And mercy, which has made us alive, he describes the way we have received the kindness of God. He talks about a gift we have been given of faith so that we might experience the grace of God. And what Paul describes here is utterly different from self-help Religion, it's not a pulling yourself up by your bootstraps religion that he's talking about. There's no meeting God halfway in what Paul describes here. There's nothing which is earned. It's all a gift. It's all kindness. It's all mercy. It's all grace. It's all love. What is God like? Well, God is like this. He's a God who is kind and merciful and gracious and loving, who takes us out of our before story into this after story and that means transformation paul says that we have been raised with christ and seated in the heavenly realms the power of christ's resurrection is now at work in us jesus christ is seated in the heavenly realms christ has been raised from the dead and he is now reigning at the right hand of the father in heaven and paul says so are we What does that mean? What it means is that we are now above the power of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We've been lifted above the power of the devil. We've been freed from the power of the world and the cravings of the flesh. Yes, we're still on this earth, but we already share in resurrection reality. We're already participating in Christ's kingly rule christians are participants in a bigger picture we're part of a bigger life and right now we might be feeling squashed and squished by our context and we do need to see this bigger picture we need to see the bigger picture which paul describes here to the ephesians that we are alive in christ we're raised with christ we're reigning with christ that was true for Paul under house arrest, and it's true for us now. Friends reminded me the other day of a, of a famous story about a, a girl called Marie Durand, who was in France in the 18th century. In the age of 15, she was imprisoned in a tower in Aigues-Mortes, down in the south of France, in Provence, for her faith. And for 38 years, she was kept in that tower. And she could have walked out at any time. Every day she was questioned, do you recant your faith? And all she had to do was say, I recant my faith, and she could have walked out and come into freedom. She didn't. For 38 years, she stayed in that tower. That is kind of extreme lockdown. Why? How could she do that? Because Marie Durant knew that she had a bigger life. Her life looked like 38 years just living in a cell, in a tower, but she was participating in a bigger life because she knew what Christ had done for her, alive with Christ, raised with Christ, reigning with Christ. And as we read what Paul says here and as we think about what this means for us, there isn't a, there's, there's no fake news here. There's, there's not a fake triumphalism. Paul is still a prisoner in, under house arrest when he writes this. The, the, the Ephesians are still having to deal with the reality of their context which had all kinds of challenges and difficulties in it and we are still having to deal with the reality of COVID-19. We're not above that, we're not immune from that but there is this other reality which is just as true and real as Paul's imprisonment or COVID-19 or Marie Durant being locked in a tower for 38 years. There is another reality which is just as true and real. And this reality is that Christians are alive in Christ, raised with Christ and reigning with Christ. Our salvation isn't a small thing. It's not just a, a moral decision that we make quietly at one point in our lives. It's not just cultural. No, it's transformative. We did deserve wrath but we have received mercy. We were dead, but now in Christ we are alive. We were subject to the world and the flesh and the devil, but now we reign with Christ. This is our after story. This is what it means to be a Christian. Before, after, and forever. What God has done for us in Christ stretches forwards into time and backwards in time. Paul says that verse 7, our salvation is for the ages to come. That through us, through the church, through Christians, through believers, God is demonstrating the riches of his grace. He's demonstrating his kindness now and forever. Forever. We are going to see the reality of his grace triumphing love and forever we the church will be the demonstration of his love god has a forever plan for us his kindness his mercy his grace is going to be forever displayed in us and through us that's a bigger picture and this story also stretches back in time the uh, uh, last verse in this uh, pastor we're looking at verse 10 Paul says that God had prepared good works in advance for us to do. God prepared good works in advance for us to do. God always knew that He was going to extend His kindness to us. God always knew that He was going to make us alive. In chapter one of this letter, Paul describes how Christians are chosen, predestined, and as part of that planning to show his kindness his mercy his grace his love to us god planned good things he wants us to do and as paul writes this he's dealing with one of the uh, paradoxes of the christian faith there's this paradox in terms of what paul describes here what do you contribute to your salvation what have i contributed to my salvation nothing i was dead you were dead and so that means that good works count for nothing in the process. You don't become a Christian. You don't get raised to new life by doing good things. You're, you're dead. You're actually incapable of doing good things as God would define them. Our salvation is all grace. There's nothing earned. It's all gift. It's given to us. It's not by works so that no one can boast. It's all gift. It's all grace. It's all mercy. It's all kindness. But then there is an outworking of our salvation, an outworking of what we have received, that good works must follow the salvation we have received. And there's a sense of kind of discovery and adventure here in what Paul says, I think. God has prepared in advance good works for us to do. And then as people who've been made alive, who are raised with Christ, who are reigning with Christ, we then have this adventure of discovering and uncovering what those good works are. What are the good works that God has prepared for you to do? Well, you have to discover them and uncover them. That's part of our adventure of faith as we are on our pilgrimage in this life. I think a huge part of what these good works God prepared in advance for us to do Uh, involve is generosity. God has been so generous to us. We were dead in our sins. We were held by the world, the flesh, and the devil, but God in his mercy, his kindness, his grace has raised us to new life, seated us with Christ, and caused us to reign with him. God has been so generous to us. He has been so good to us, and we're to do good in response, which means being a generous people as God has been generous to us. At the uh, end of last year, the last Sunday of December, we had our Testimony Sunday. And I, I talked then about how over uh, the past couple of years we've, we've had a theme for the year and uh, we hadn't kind of discerned yet what our theme for 2021 should be. and. Uh, I had a number of people get in touch with me after that helpfully and talk about things they felt God was stirring in them. And uh, there's a particular kind of sense in terms of the need to persevere and persist. And uh, absolutely, we need to persevere and persist at this time uh, when uh, life is, is not fun and everything feels like hard work. And last year, our theme for the year was being faithful and persistence and perseverance is another kind of aspect, facet of, of, of faithfulness. Uh, but as... Um, been thinking about this, uh, I, I really felt prompted by the Lord that what we should be focusing on this year, a theme for us to really lean into, is that of generosity. And over the past couple of weeks, as elders, we've been talking about this and, and wanted to bring this to you and start to, to bring it to us as a, as a church over the coming weeks and months, that God has been so generous to us, and we are to be generous in response. And one of the great challenges of, of this current time of feeling under pressure and the smallness of, of our circumstances is that the natural human default at this time is going to be to want to hold on to stuff. Everything is so uncertain, uh, everything feels so up in the air, everything feels, well, who knows what's going to happen. Our natural human tendency is, is to cling on. And... Uh, A real spiritual discipline, I think, and also a real witness to the reality of our faith is if we're people who don't just cling on, but people who give away. And so what we'd like to do this year is to rethink about what it means to be generous. That involves a material, a physical, a financial generosity. Let's let's be more generous as a church than we ever have before let's let's push our giving out as a as a church the body what we give away elsewhere let's give away more than we have before and personally let's look for opportunities to be financially generous if you're if you're a parent be more generous to your kids than you normally would look for random opportunities to bless people financially give gifts uh, make provision and all the other aspects of generosity as well in terms of displaying love and serving people and showing kindness let's what are those good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do well if nothing else they've got to involve generosity and so 2021 let's let's be a church who are crazy generous let's be a people who don't hold on in fear but Give away in faith and joy because of what Christ has done for us. We'll be talking about that more in the, in, the, in the weeks to come. I just wanted to bring that before you. We have been called into a bigger life. We were dead, but now we are alive. We were subject to the world of flesh and the devil, but now we reign with Christ. And forever we will display God's grace. And right now we get to make God's grace, His kindness, His love known. We, we get to do the good works which demonstrate the before, the after, the forever story of what Christ has done for us. This is our reality. We have a bigger life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for what we have been called into in Christ. Thank you that those of us who know Jesus have this amazing story of before and now after and the forever of life with you. And I pray that we would be people who uh, see these realities, these spiritual realities as as real, as as certain as, as the physical realities around us which we can touch and grasp. I thank you, Jesus, that in you we are raised and reigning and I pray that we'd know something of that we would know something of that bigness at this time when so much of life feels small I pray we'd know the largeness of what our faith has called us into and uh, Lord we would display that I pray for us here at Gateway we'd be a people who display the bigness of what we've been called to we wouldn't shrink back and hunker down but we would be a generous people as you've been generous to us that we would paint this year a bigger and bigger picture of who our God is and what he has done We bless you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all your grace to us. Amen.